Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're looking at the theme of biblical prosperity. And uh, it just reminds me, actually, as what we're going to talk today, is uh, there was a Jewish rabbi and a Christian minister, and uh, they were talking about how they do the giving, the offerings. And uh, the ministers, uh, the rabbi said to the minister, you know, uh, how, how much do you give? And he says, well, we give a tenth, we give a tithe uh, to the Lord. And he says, how much do you give to the rabbi? And the rabbi said, no, we give 100% to the Lord. He said, how does that work? He says, well, it's very simple. We collect together all the money, we throw it up in the air to heaven, and whatever God wants to keep, he keeps, and the rest he lets us have. And so, I'm not sure if that's the way it should be, but there you go. Um, the first fruits we taught, saw last time, that everything belongs to God. And the principle of first fruits is the practical way we acknowledge this. And this is a deep principle. It's really moral law. It's part of our worship of God based on our relationship to him. He's the owner. He's the Lord of all our wealth. And so God defines what the first part is of whatever whatever he gives to us and that's called the first fruits and we are to honor God by giving him the first fruits we're not to touch it for ourselves we are to give it to him and uh, he will define what it is and if he accepts the first fruits that we give to him that first fruits represents the whole of our wealth and so as he t puts his hands on the first fruits so he is his hand of blessing is on all our finances that brings his blessing our finances into God's blessing. And we saw last time what a fundamental principle this is throughout the word of God. And uh, you give the first fruits and then anything you give above the first fruits is a free will offering. So we need to ask the question today, what is the first fruits for us today in the new covenant? And I'll, I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna tell you right now, I believe it's the tithe. And I wanna show that to you. What else could it be? God doesn't give any other directions as to what the first fruits is. Because, see, God has to define what it is. We can't just make up what we think should be the first fruits uh, because it's God's money. And the only direction we have is that it is the tithe. But we're going to look at that in more detail because it is a controversial subject. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding and your finances. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes concerning your finances. Look to see what God teaches in his word. Fear the Lord, submit to his authority and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And one way you show your trust in the Lord and your fear of the Lord is in the next verses. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase or your profit. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And certainly the, the, the original writer of these proverbs here would certainly have known what he meant by the first fruits. It was the tithe. And the, the Bible consistently uses the tithe or the tenth as, as a primary guideline for the first fruits. But we have to admit, if tithing was only in the law of Moses, nowhere else, then it wouldn't be for us today because we're not under the law of Moses. But tithing actually is a deeper principle than that. 
It transcends the Old Covenant. Uh, it was in the Old Covenant, but it was practiced before the Old Covenant because it's part of uh, moral law. It was practiced before the law, it was in the law, but it also it is also in the New Testament, in the teaching of Jesus and the book of Hebrews. And so just because it was in the law doesn't mean it's not for today. It's because it transcends the law. Let's look before the law, first of all, to the time of Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. And it says that Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who's delivered your enemies into your hands. Melchizedek was saying, you see, that God possesses everything. And it was, Ab it was God that blessed Abraham with his victory. God gave Abraham his wealth. Now, Abraham could have held on to his money, but that would have limited God's blessing in his life. He wouldn't have acknowledged God as the blesser. How could Abraham acknowledge God as his source and God as the possessor of all things? And God instructed Abraham, and it says, and he gave him a tithe of all. And this is the example of Abraham before the law of Moses. Um, the Bible records it for our instruction. It must have been something that pleased God. Therefore, it was done in faith. And therefore, it was done in obedience to God's instructions, because faith only comes by hearing the word of God. Abraham must have heard God tell him to tithe. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been done in faith. Then it says in the next verses, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, you know, give me the persons, keep the goods for yourself. And Abraham said to the king, I've raised my hand to God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. That means he's sworn an oath, a covenant oath before God. Part of Abraham's covenant with God was his tithing he and his giving. He says he, he swore, he raised his hand in oath to the possessor of heaven and earth that he will take nothing and the lest you should say that I've made Abraham rich. You see, this tithing was actually a very formal and serious thing that Abraham undertook. It was a covenant thing. And in his tithing and giving, he was fulfilling a covenant oath that he made before God. He was formally acknowledging before God that everything came from God. Actually, Abraham because we're going to see that this is a picture of New Testament tithing, Abraham actually went way beyond the tithe. No, you see, first of all, he gave the tithe. That came first to Melchizedek, who was God's institution in the earth that represented God in the earth, the high priest of God Most High. Um, that went first, but then Abraham gave the other 90% away as well. In this case, to people who needed it. The king of Sodom had been dispossessed. The people of Sodom had been dispossessed. Abraham could have kept it for himself, but as a free will offering, he actually gave the rest away. So he didn't just tithe, he actually gave everything else away except for his expenses. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and exceeding great reward. Let's say you just came into a hundred million pounds like Abraham and Abraham tithed it. And then he gave the rest away. Imagine you just give away a fortune and you wake up the next morning and thoughts are coming into your head. Why did you do that? Why, why didn't you just keep a million for yourself? You know, And fear perhaps came to Abraham's mind and God said, don't be afraid, I'm your shield. 
from the curse of poverty, and I am ex your exceeding great blesser and rewarder. Abraham, you've done something here that's established something in your heart that will allow me now to reward you greatly. And so by tithing the first fruits to God, that released God's blessing to the future. I remember as a student, I had, didn't have very much money at all, of course, and uh, I just knew that got that revelation of tithing. And I made that decision, I'm going to tithe now for the rest of my life. And I knew somehow in my heart I was laying a foundation for my future prosperity. I, I knew I was releasing my faith because I was honoring God with the first fruits. See, tithing was practiced by Abraham before the law. Romans says that Abraham is the father of those who believe and that we are to walk in the steps of faith of our father Abraham. No, we're not under the covenant of Moses, but we are under the Abrahamic covenant. We are sons of Abraham, and in Christ, we inherit of the Abrahamic covenant. The new covenant is just a development of the Abrahamic covenant. So Abraham is our spiritual father, and we are to follow his example, praise God. And tithing in the Abrahamic covenant is demonstrated to us here in, in Genesis 14. And we see that he taught his children to do the same because if we read in Genesis 28, we see Jacob. Now, he didn't really walk close to God like Abraham, but he had an experience of God in chapter 28 that caused him to renew his, his uh, commitment to God. And uh, he made a vow, it says, saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. This stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And here he is committing to tithe as a lifestyle and he's putting himself under God's authority, under his protection and blessing. And he knew that to do this, it was appropriate to tithe everything to God. And he vowed to do that. Where did he get the idea to do this? He learnt it from Abraham and Isaac. I want you to notice, though, in, in before the law, tithing was a voluntary thing. It was not a law with punishment if you didn't tithe. It was a voluntary thing. And uh, that's how it was for the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the law came along with Moses, and then tithing became a compulsory thing. And you were punished, and there was a special curse on you if you didn't tithe. But then in the New Covenant, we're going to see, tithing continues, but it reverts back to being a voluntary thing, not a compulsory thing. That's the difference. Tithing, is it in the New Testament? Yes, it is. But many Christians seem to miss that. No, we're not under the law of Moses, but we're not lawless. We're under the law of Christ, which is defined by the teaching of the New Testament. And that is based on the teaching of Jesus, built up then by the apostles. For instance, and, and this is what I want to tell you, is that the teaching of Jesus is New Testament teaching. In Matthew 7:24, he's talked about the people who would build their house on the rock, and what is the rock? What is the foundational teaching for the new covenant? He said, those who hear my words and do, does them, he's the one that builds his house on the rock. The teaching of Jesus is foundational. 
In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and I'll be with you till the end of the age. So the teaching syllabus is the teaching of Jesus for the age of the church. He says, I'll be with you in the, to the end of the age, and you are to teach everything that I have taught you. So whatever Jesus teaches is new covenant teaching. 1 Timothy 6.3 says, Whoever teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine that accords with godliness, he's proud and he knows nothing. So anyone who rejects the teaching of Jesus Christ as new covenant teaching, Paul would disagree with you. Well, although Jesus was indeed one, a Jew born and who lived under the old covenant, and he fulfilled the law. He were, in his ministry, he was a minister of the new covenant, and he laid down the foundational teaching for the new covenant, and by his death, he laid down his blood to, to establish that new covenant. So the key issue is, is tithing in the teaching of Jesus? Does he endorse it? And Jesus himself tells us very clearly that we ought to tithe. That's in two scriptures. Matthew 23, 23 says, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others also. What he's basically saying is, he doesn't say don't tithe, he says, I'm not telling you off for tithing, but it's not a substitute for having the right attitudes, justice, mercy, and faith. In other words, it's not either or, but it's both. He says, you ought to have the right heart attitudes, but also you ought to tithe. You ought to tithe, it's right to tithe, just as you ought to pray. Now, God isn't gonna punish you if you don't pray. It's not like that, but you ought to, as a believer. And likewise, you ought to tithe as a spiritual discipline to glorify God. So Jesus does affirm tithing, even though he is affirming justice, mercy, and faith even more. And this word ought to is the same word as must when he said you must be born again. This isn't some airy-fairy thing. He says you ought to have these right attitudes and you ought to tithe. And it's very clear. A second witness is similar in Luke 11:42. Were to you Pharisees, you tithe mint, rue, and all manner of herbs, but you pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, without leaving tithing undone. You ought to tithe, he said. Now to me, this is the clincher. Okay, it's only two verses, but what more do you need? You see, the teaching of Jesus. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. He said you ought to tithe. You might say, well, why isn't there any more teaching on it? Well, that was sufficient because tithing was well understood in, in that time and it was universally practiced among the Jews. So it was just a matter, all Jesus needed to do was just to affirm its continuance. And, uh, and so it does. The first fruits in the new covenant continues to be tithing. Uh, but it's not a law with punishment. It's a duty, an ought to, for those who want to honor God. 
and it will bring you into much greater blessing. It's the way that you put him first in your finances. Some see tithing in 1 Corinthians 16 as well. It says, on the first day of the week, let each of you lay aside something, storing up according as he prospers. In other words, a certain percentage of your income. It doesn't say what percent, but from other scriptures, it would be the 10%. Then another convincer is Hebrews chapter 7. And in this chapter, he is saying that that tithing of Abraham to Melchizedek is, a, is taken to be a type or a picture of new covenant tithing. For we, like are the children of Abraham, and today we are to tithe to Jesus, who is the greater than Melchizedek, you see. The whole thing is a picture of the present day tithing. Let's read that in Hebrews. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Then it describes Melchizedek as a type of Christ, being first translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning or days, nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, he says, consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better, the greater. Now here's the key verse, verse 8. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. And, and this is describing Melchizedek as a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the eternal son of God. The Bible says he's the priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek corresponds to Jesus Christ. It's the same kind of priesthood. One point made is that this priesthood is greater than the temporary priesthood of Levi, because Levi in Abraham actually tithed to Melchizedek. And so this is a greater priesthood than the priesthood under the law of Moses. Both of them, however, both priesthoods receive tithes. Now the difference is one was by commandment or law and the other one was voluntary. Now Abraham's tithing to Melchizedek under the Abrahamic covenant before the law is a picture of our tithing to Jesus, our high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, after the law. Again, it's not a law of punishment, but our response of love. Just like Abraham responded to God in that way. We're not under grace, we're under law. We're not, sorry, we're under grace, we're not under law. But if we are truly under grace, that will actually cause us to go beyond what the law demands, just as it did with Abraham, who gave all. Abraham, you see, tithed to the royal high priest Melchizedek, who received the tithes and blessed Abraham. And likewise, we tithe to our king and our high priest Jesus. And he receives our tithes and he blesses us.
you know. Uh, what is the first fruits that we ought to give? It's the tithe. Look at verse 8 closely. You'll see it. It's so clear. Here, he says, here. That's right now. Here on earth, mortal men receive tithes. You see, when you tithe in church, it doesn't evaporate into heaven. It stays on earth. It goes to the church. The church that Jesus himself instituted. In that time, it was Melchizedek was God's instituted institution on earth. He was the priest of God Most High, and so he received the tithe. Now it's the church. So here, we give tithes to Jesus, but it's, we actually give the money into his institution on earth. Just as Israel, under the law, it was given to his institution, the temple and the priesthood. You see, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he, Jesus, receives them, of whom it's witnessed that he lives. Notice Tithing still takes place today. There in heaven, he, the risen Jesus, the greater than Melchizedek, of whom it witnessed, it's witnessed that he lives, he receives our tithes. So in the natural, it looks like we're just giving money into the church, but as we're giving, Jesus in heaven, the greater than Melchizedek, is receiving our tithes. So Abraham giving the tithe to Melchizedek is the, the classic picture of New Testament tithing. You see, that's what Hebrews says. It's a picture of what happens today. Abraham, like Abraham, we give tithes to our heavenly Melchizedek and acknowledge him as the Lord. And uh, tithes are received. And in response, the great, our great high priest blesses us. And greater blessing is released on our finances as we tithe, just as in the picture. And so, Jesus, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, this encounter between Melchizedek and Abraham is a picture of the present priesthood of Christ in receiving tithes and blessing believers. Praise God. There must be, you know, this priesthood of Melchizedek is set in Hebrew as the model of the priesthood of Christ. And the only picture we have of that priesthood in operation is the tithing situation with Abraham. And therefore, surely, in the priesthood of Christ, tithing is still operational for that picture really to have merit. Under the law, there was tithing. And because tithing transcends the law, verses in the law about tithing can also teach us truths of tithing. For instance, where it says in Leviticus that the tithe belongs to the Lord. In Malachi, it tells us that the tithe belongs to the Lord. And when we don't tithe, that can be like stealing from the Lord. It says that giving the tithe releases God's blessing and it protects us from the curse. Now there isn't a special curse that comes on us if we don't tithe now, but there is generally a curse on the earth and if we don't honor God with the first fruits, then we limit the blessing of God on our life and that exposes us more to the curse that is on the earth. So as we read Malachi, there is actually much truth in this even for today. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, he says, you're cursed with a curse. You've robbed me, even this whole nation. 
He says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse. There may be food in my house and try me now in this. Test me, says the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall your vine fail to bear fruit for you in the fields as the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed. You'll be a delightful land. And so notice God promises that as you offer him the first fruits, the tithe, God's blessing is released and he will defend you from the curse. The windows of heaven will be opened and I believe that's still true today. Praise God. We are free in the New Testament. It isn't a compulsory law, but it is still the way we honor God with the first fruits. It's, the tithe is big enough to actually break your love of money and it's big enough to make it that it has to be an act of faith when you offer your tithe to God. If it was just 1%, there'd be no faith in that. It's big enough that you can only do it as an act of faith. But as you give that, God's blessing will more than make up for that 10% that you've given. Um, if, here's some questions on it. If you're in debt, is it more important to pay the debtor or to pay the tithe? I believe that it's the first fruits. You know, I've got a mortgage. Does that mean I don't have to pay my tithes till I've paid off my mortgage? That would be wrong. That's not putting God first. No, the first priority in your finances is to give God the first fruits. Yes, and then you need to also make it your priority. You need to sacrifice until you pay off that debt. Should you tithe on the gross or the net? It's the net because any money you spend to make money is not your profit. So you need to, if you have your income, you take off your expenses and then you tithe on that because it's, the tithe is on your profit. Before or after tax? Well, that's easy. The tithe is the first fruits, not the second fruits. So it, the tax man doesn't get the first fruits, God gets the first fruits. So it's before tax, then the tax man gets his bit. Well, if you, can't, if you feel that you're not sure about this, I would say what God says in Malachi 3, try me now in this. Why don't you just try tithing for six months? And if it doesn't work for you, then I'll leave it with you. But God says, put me to the test. And I will so bless you that you won't want to stop. Praise God. I honestly believe that. God invites you to test him out on that tithing. If you can't do it now, then go for 5%, and, but make it your aim to increase till you give that proper first fruits to the Lord. I recommend to you, give God the first fruits, give him the tithe, and you'll be blessed.